Today's message, based on Romans 4, 16-25, is called Trusting the God Who Gives Life to the Dead. In times of uncertainty, how good it is to find anchors, what we can count on as a sure thing. Romans 4.16 tells us about something that's guaranteed to believers. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. A guarantee is a promise that someone will stand behind an item you buy, for example. If something goes wrong, you can take it back. They'll honor their promise to make sure you get what you need. It's been another tumultuous week as the coronavirus continues its march around the planet. Global cases topped a million, with about a quarter of that in our neighbor to the south. Canada topped 10,000 cases, and Ontario has seen nearly 70 deaths as of uh, Friday. A 65-bed nursing home in Bob Cajun was hit hard, around 20 associated fatalities. New York's situation seems dire. And then there's the uncertainty about how to fend it off. Myths circulate on social media that aren't really helpful. Can you trust the source? Is it a proven method? Should healthy people wear a mask or not wear a mask? Even various states and countries differ in their approach to prevention, some not locking down. A 60-something member corralled in Washington State that practiced on March 10th followed state guidelines, but ended up with two people dead and 45 ill out of the 60-something members, prompting some to postulate the virus could be spread in fine aerosol fashion rather than just bigger droplets. The stock market graph over recent months is starting to look at exaggerated Ws. And in such times of stress and unpredictability, what do people turn to? Toilet paper! When the roll is called up yonder. The heroes of faith in scripture faced challenging times too. Plagues, enemies, hostile governments, threats and imprisonment. Their realities were stark and frightening at times. Yet their faith kept them calm and trusting in their rock despite the forces opposing them. Faith is like that. It looks past the immediate circumstances to the larger picture of God's plan and call into eternal relationship. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith fails to flinch in the face of seemingly fearsome facts. As John Stott observes, faith always looks at the problems in light of the promises. In Romans 4, the Apostle Paul takes a bit of a sidebar to look at the Jewish patriarch Abraham. Paul's aim is to show that even Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, was deemed righteous in the sight of God by faith, apart from the works of the Mosaic Law. Abraham and Sarah faced uncertainties in their lives, too. Abraham started off as an immigrant, a refugee of sorts. He was basically a nomad. And toward the end of his life, Abraham had a significant problem. He had herds and wealth, but no son who could be an heir and get the benefit of his father's estate. Sarah and Abraham tried to come up with their own solution, using Sarah's slave girl Hagar as a sort of surrogate, but God made clear that Hagar's resulting son Ishmael was not to be Abraham's main heir. God had promised to make Abraham into a great nation, Genesis 12-2, that his offspring would be as countless as the stars, Genesis 15-5, 
but Sarah was past the age of childbearing and they had no children. This would appear to be a slight problem. Romans 4.19 Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. As good as dead. Past it. Worn out. Impotent. Sometimes it's brutal to face the facts. Sudden layoffs this past month resulted in about an eighth of our country's workforce suddenly applying for emergency EI support. What's unpleasant or brutal for you right now in facing the facts? What will you do with it? Use it as an excuse to walk away from God or, or to grow stronger in your faith as you see how the Lord works things out. Today is Palm Passion Sunday. In the hours leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus also had to face the facts arrayed overwhelmingly against him. Praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was not too late to escape, to just drop it all and run for the hills. His soul was in anguish at the prospect of pain, suffering, betrayal, beating, and tortured death that awaited him. He admitted to his closest disciples, Matthew 26:38, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Can you relate to that a little bit? Jesus then pleaded with his heavenly Father, Matthew 26:39, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. He entrusted his future into his Father's sovereign wisdom. A few minutes later, there was a rustling in the orchard, and a large crowd armed with swords and clubs surrounded him. There had been other times in his ministry when people were about to stone him that Jesus miraculously escaped. Would he do so again? No. He submitted to the plan God had designed for our salvation. He ordered one of his companions to put back the sword he'd used to cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus said, Matthew 26:53, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus trusted God's plan in uncertain times, threatening times. When you're going through a crisis, you long for something reassuring to cling to, more reliable than the stock market, more certain than government programs. In Abraham's case, he found that something in God's power and God's person. Note, Power alone is not enough. He may be impressed by the muscles of a bouncer at the nightclub, but if he's not in favor of letting you in, if you're not on good terms with him, he's not going to get you very far. In fact, you might be better off to stay away. So power and person, are they favorably disposed towards you? What's their character? Will they be there for you when the crunch comes? Let's first of all look at power. Romans 4.21 being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham had already seen God's hand at work in his life. God had called him to leave the land of Haran. God kept him alive through famine and prospered him in the land of Egypt. Genesis 13.2 Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. When four kings defeated the kings where Abraham's nephew Lot lived and carried everyone off as plunder, God helped Abraham take 318 of his own servants and defeat the four kings, 
retrieving his nephew and freeing all the other captives. Genesis 14:16. Abraham had had a taste of God's power to bless in a person's life. Note how Paul describes this powerful God at the end of Romans 14:17. He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. God is the God of resurrection power, gives life to the dead, and the God of power seen in creation, calls things that are not as though they were. The author of the book of Hebrews points out Abraham got a glimpse of God's resurrection power when Isaac was spared from being sacrificed. Hebrews 11.19 Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The disciples witnessed God's mighty power at work raising the dead during Jesus' lifetime. Jairus' daughter, Matthew 9.18, son of the widow at Nain, Luke 7.11, and Lazarus in John 11. And the climax came when God raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, Romans 4.24. That's resurrection power. But there's also God's power seen in creation. Romans 4.17, God who calls things that are not as though they were. New Living Translation, creates new things out of nothing. Scientists have done research and now accept the evidence for a big bang instead of steady-state approach to the universe. There was a definite beginning which scripture points to. And by the way, it was good to catch a free showing of Del Tackett's documentary, Is Genesis History? recently, which he interviewed various scientists who outlined evidence for God's supernatural hand at work in creation. There's nothing stronger than God's power, the power that backs his promises. Jeremiah the prophet prays in Jeremiah 32:17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus of God's power at work in them as it was in Jesus, Ephesians 1.19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. But Abraham trusted not only God's power, but also God's person. What's the character of the one who's making the promise? Are they like election promises that often evaporate once the party really gets into power? Romans 4.21 Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. God's promises spring from his covenant relationship with us, his plans and purposes for us, which flow from his essential character. What is God like? What's his disposition well, a recurring theme in the Old Testament is summed up in Psalm 86.15. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Not stingy in love and faithfulness, but abounding. John 14, Philip wanted to know what God is like. John 14.8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So, when we wonder what God's essential character is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus, who loved us so much he went to the cross to purify us of our sins. Then, of course, there's 1 John's simple assertion, God is love. 1 John 4, 8 and 16. How much does God love you? He sent Jesus to take your place, to have your sin and punishment loaded onto him, so that you might receive his righteousness, the all clear, no longer being guilty in God's sight. Romans 4.25 He was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. This is Palm Passion Sunday. The passion part refers to Jesus suffering for our sakes. Jesus loved you so much as to go through all that pain and suffering and alienation and torture to empty himself on your behalf. Philippians 2, 7. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. John Stott notes, Behind all promises lies the character of the person who makes them. When someone with whom you have a history makes a promise they're going to do something, you accept that promise at face value because you know they've been reliable in the past. The Bible is the record of God's people's dealings with him, how he's proved himself reliable over and over again. Paul brings it all home in the last three verses of the chapter. He's not just talking about Abraham in vague general terms. He's saying the way Abraham found righteousness by faith, simply trusting God, taking him at his word, that's the way that we can find righteousness, peace with God, too. Verses 23-24. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Written for us. For us. The pattern that applied to Abraham applies in your case too. It's not on the basis of works. You can't earn right standing before God. You're mired in sin in your natural self. Righteousness is credited or reckoned or imputed solely by grace as a gift received by faith. You've got to trust God's word on this one. You'll never work hard enough or achieve enough merit to deserve forgiveness. In many ways, our current trying circumstances, being locked up, battling infection, offer an opportunity, A, to be strengthened spiritually, B, to give glory to God. A, an opportunity to be strengthened spiritually. It must have been very sobering for Abraham to face the facts that his body was as good as dead. But he didn't let doubt and fear get the better of him. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief. Abraham refused to become weak in faith, despite the obvious limitations of his physical condition, his lack of virility. Instead, what happened? Verse 20b, who was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He was strengthened in his faith. He was made strong by his faith. Bible in basic English puts it. 
Is this current crisis making you stronger because you're leaning on God more? Values are changing, or at least suspended. Someone was remarking the big box stores that normally draw crowds of shoppers, widescreen TVs and so on, are conspicuously empty. When you're in a battle for health and survival, the accessories become secondary. So many outbreaks in nursing homes, so many coronavirus cases in even the 40 to 59 age group. When confronted by the possibility of death, it forces us to come to grips with the question, what matters most to us? That can open the door to stronger faith in our Maker and Redeemer. Also, it's an opportunity to give glory to God. Verse 20b, New Living Translation. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. How real Christians stand up in tough times makes God look good, appealing. Make him want what you've got. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What better conditions to be actively showing these qualities to our neighbors? John Stott says Abraham glorified God by letting God be God, trusting him to be true to himself as the God of creation and resurrection. Our glorifying the Father is wrapped up with letting his essential character and nature, like we see in Jesus, become more obvious even through our trying circumstances. John MacArthur notes that such response brings glory to God since believing God or trusting God affirms his existence and character. When others can see us maintaining our faith in God despite things not all being rosy, it's a strong statement about God being real, that God exists, he's not silent, he's actively there for us, sustaining us through our hardships. On March 24th, Bloomberg reported nearly a million Canadians applied for jobless claims the previous week, representing almost 5% of the labour force. That's a lot of people. In 1970, Richard Nelson Bowles wrote the book, What Color Is Your Parachute?, which has since sold over 10 million copies. At a business meeting in 1968, when someone told him that he and several co-workers were bailing out of a failing organization, Bowles was prompted to joke, What color is your parachute? And the phrase has since stuck. A lot of people are looking for a parachute in these times. Locked up, isolated, out of work, bills to pay. Where can they find hope? What is the church's role in loving our neighbor? Speaking of parachutes, World War II parachute packers had an unacceptable record. 19 out of 20 parachutes opened. I guess you wouldn't have wanted to bin on that one out of 20 that didn't. The manager discovered that by allowing the packers the pleasure of testing their parachutes by jumping from a plane, quality rose to 100%. Are you ready to jump? How firmly packed is your faith? These trying times are an opportunity to imitate Abraham to not weaken, but become strengthened in faith and to glorify God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Abraham's example, how he looked to you when he was uh, reaching his own limits. Thank you for your precious promises. and We bless you for your great power to make those promises come true. Lord, we're trusting for that even in our own lives through these circumstances. 
Thank you that you're the, the God of miracles, the God of resurrection power. Thank you for Jesus going to the cross, which we uh, remember this week with Good Friday coming up. Lord, help it to be especially meaningful this year with everything that's going on. And uh, help us to be a witness to you, uh, to our neighbors and our loved ones, uh, to be uh, sure of your hope. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.